had this moment of realization where I thought, you know what's so incredible? These characters that feel like friends, these characters that I love in this world that feels mm -hmm. so safe and feels like such an escape and a, you know, a happy place for me. All of it comes from one person's imagination. And I just remember thinking that must be the closest thing to magic I could ever imagine that one person's mind could create a place where millions of people can go. Hey, hi, hello, Angelia here. And I'm Alexis. And this is Before the Prologue. Angelia, Alexis, I, <laughs> I did a thing. I slid into the DMs of a literary agent on Twitter. Alexis, how provocative. <laughs> I know, oh I know. Oh my goodness. I know. And you know what? It's so unlike me. I felt like I was channeling my inner Angelia. I feel like you're rubbing so off on me. Are you me. calling me provocative? Because if you are, I'm receiving it. <laughs> I'm kidding. It. I am calling you confident and bold Stop and it. social. I was channeling you. And I slid into her DMs because I noticed we have this mutual adoration of Twilight. And I was like, look, I like Twilight. You like Twilight. I have a podcast. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Twilight. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, there was more to the conversation than that. But really, that's what we originally bonded over. And it turned into scheduling this interview with her. <laughs> I'm fangirling, but I also am just really, really eager mm -hmm. to chat me, with her. Me too. I am pumped. And I think you since you got the interview scheduled i think you need to tell us who it is and i'll give us a drum roll if you want me to but can you hear this is this coming through yeah 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 oh great <laughs> okay so our guest today is nina leon nina leon is an associate agent at perez literary and entertainment her childhood love and appreciation of stories motivated her to pursue a career in publishing she is now privileged enough to work with talented authors whose incredible work inspires her every day and makes her proud to be their champion and advocate. And while we're talking about Nina, I feel like we just have to mention this awesome news that she shared with us. It's that her client just got a three book deal and the first book in the trilogy is called Tales of a Monstrous Heart and it is a gothic romanticy trilogy written by Jennifer Delaney and it is publishing in August 2024 with Galant, Galance, is that correct? With Galance of Hatchet UK. How exciting! I know! She's living out her dream! Yes, yeah. she is. Oh, good for them. Love good it. for them. Good for them. Claps all around. All right. Well, welcome, Nina. It is a joy to have you on. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. All right, Nina, off the gate, I'm going to go ahead and be honest while I get this loaded. Your accent is going to make me swoon this entire podcast. Your accent has already made me swoon. Stop. <laughs> Got like a little Hannah Montana moment over there. I I die. It's the cutest thing I've ever heard. Oh my like, gosh. If I write my memoir, please just narrate it for me, honestly. Oh, so this cute. Is, this is going to be the best podcast we've ever recorded. Like I know. And I'm just swooning over both of your accents. So I'm, I'm reaping the most reward. <laughs> Also, just off the bat, I do have the flu. Oh, no. So if I sound like a chipmunk that's drowning, I apologize. I've taken like all the preventive medication that I can take within a reason. And I do have a cup of tea. So like, you know, I'll be fine. But like, just if it gets a bit sniffy, I do apologize. Right. I'm so sorry. Oh. It's okay. I hope that tea works wonders for you. It's got lemon, oh, yeah. which might be a bit counterintuitive, but we'll just go with it. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't aggravate my throat. <laughs> 
be great. <sighs> I would like to go ahead and apologize too. I have four kids, Nina, and uh, one of them is asleep in the bedroom next door, and then the other two are playing video games back there and then one of them is with my mom so i will be interrupted at least once every podcast is like that so i'm sorry <laughs> no it's all good it's, it adds variety to the show i think you know it, it does spice of life keeps us on our toes thankfully i have my husband here today helping with my child now that that doesn't guarantee that there won't be <laughs> interruptions but the chances are the only one i'm the only one without a husband and kids <laughs> like i have a dog i don't know Sweet fur babies. I really wish I had a fur baby. I've been really having the, the hankering for one lately, but... You need to get a dog. Yeah. I would recommend a Border Collie or a Golden Retriever. Oh, or go for my dog, dog, which is a mix. Yeah, she's a mix of both. So she is like sunshine oh. as a dog. Oh. She's like, she's one of those dogs that just doesn't feel like a real dog. She's like just a personality <laughs> yeah. in like dog form. Like she's the cutest thing. I, I love her so That's much. That's perfect. Yeah, Border Collie... A border collie has been like top of our list. Like if we ever get it, when we move to like more country land again, I want a mm-hmm. border collie so bad. Dream dog. I think they're the best. They're so, they're so smart, so well behaved. And I actually really love yeah. that they're a herding dog because mm-hmm. it helps pe- corral the people. Yeah, they're really intelligent, mm-hmm. which, you know, it presents its challenges because they like to be stimulated. So they like to go for walks quite often. But, yeah. you know, they'll keep you on your toes. You'll never be bored. They're so sweet. I remember I was on holiday. They love, um, it's kind of a detour here, but they love playing fetch. And I was on holiday on the beach once and there was this guy and he was walking his border collie and they had this like, like eagle eye vision of the ball that they want to catch, right? And they kind of like walk sideways, like they sidle when they like run. Yeah. And the guy was like holding the ball for like quite a long time. Like I felt like you could have thrown the ball. It's been like five minutes of you just walking with this ball, like about to throw it. And this border collie was just like walking <laughs> sideways for like 500 meters until this person like threw the ball. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It was hilarious. Oh, that is so precious. I've gone down the tiktok spiral of dogs walking Mm. sideways and to just different music playing and Mm -hmm. there's it's really a really niche corner Mm -hmm. of the internet but it found me and i am better off for it those videos are the cutest things i love tiktok animal videos i don't actually have tiktok because i think if i did i would spend way too much time on tiktok especially because i think the algorithm is like over time becomes tailored to you so it's like here's videos of like 10 seconds just the kind of videos that you would personally enjoy and you're like well you know this is my personal torture but like it's quite rewarding um mm-hmm. so i kind of do what a lot of millennials do i like see them on instagram reels yes. like the day after <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> that's how you know our age okay this is a, this is a kind of a random question if if you had a tiktok mm-hmm. or maybe even your instagram reels even though i feel like tiktok is better than instagram at, in terms of figuring out who you are what do you think would take up your for you page oh my gosh um henry cavill that's so funny that you say that i can't tell you why i think that's funny but i think it's funny (laughs) Uh, actually i can tell you you know when you like as an agent as an author you have a conversation of like who would you cast as the main character in the story yep it's always henry cavill (laughs) right yeah yeah um my client jennifer would love him as the main character right (laughs) there's some debate between us on that on that topic i think for me I love cute animal videos. Mm-hmm. I love otters. I love, I don't know if you guys watch, there's a YouTube channel called The Dodo. 
which is all about animal rescue and rehabilitation, but like not in the really sad sense. Right. Like it always has a really beautiful, happy ending. And I think they make shorts. So I think my TikTok would be a lot of that. Um, and also like bookstagram and book talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The little like the fan videos that like readers make are so incredible. Like the marketing team should hire them to do like some promo videos. Like they're so talented. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. There are some amazing book trailers and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. My for you page on both Instagram and TikTok are filled with bookish things. And then a dash of animals mm-hmm. and then a dash of Taylor Swift. That's what the algorithm has decided oh, yeah. that I want. And it is correct. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Taylor Swift for sure. It's a rabbit hole definitely speaking of a rabbit hole let's go down a rabbit hole to your childhood if you will we want to know what you were like as a kid oh my gosh I I was a very happy child I was very content I had a really beautiful childhood you know when I think about it I had a lot of safety a lot of security a lot of love a lot of support I spent a lot of time climbing trees and climbing things that weren't trees, whatever I could climb and I could play on, that's where I was. You know, something that I'm really grateful for and I think about a lot is that my parents, so there's this conversation of nature versus nurture, right? You know, who you are as a person versus who, you know, your environment, your parents, your friends sort of shape you to be. And I think my parents, they just got it so right because they understood that they were nurturing my nature. So they always gave me the freedom and support that allow me to be exactly who I am at every mm-hmm. stage of my life. You know, while also obviously being, you know, having safety, you know, and making sure I was on the right path and everything. Not that I ever like went down a dark path. That sounds very serious. But you know, there were rules as a, you know, as parents always have. But they were, like I said, there was a lot of safety, a lot of comfort, a lot of support. I was certainly a very creative child, mm. and I was very sort of. I'm introverted, but I always say I'm an extroverted introvert, which I think is just an introvert with quite good social skills. Yes, I can relate. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I, I love playing with my friends, but I also loved, you know, Sunday afternoons playing with my Barbies in the back garden. I'm very thrilled they made a Barbie movie. I'm really excited to see it. Um, so I think from quite an early age, I was very confident with who I was I was very happy with who I was and I like I said I had that support from my parents um to be exactly who I wanted to be which I think you know I really have carried through my whole life you know I've always felt very loved and very supported Mm -hmm. and you know I didn't I didn't realize that not everyone had that growing up um and I think if anything that's made me more appreciative of of what I did have I have an older brother, so I always had someone to play with. I think when we were younger, we were a bit more similar, but you know, as you grow up, you sort of start developing your own individual personalities and your individual interests. Yeah, when you're young, you just play. I don't think you, I don't think your personalities really come into it too much when you're very young. From an early age, I really, I really love stories from an early age. I think some of my earliest memories are my parents reading to me and I say my parents they didn't read at the same time because that would be like quite a lot to deal with it was definitely like one night mom one night dad <laughs> yes um but I just you know I really look forward to bedtime because my parents would read to me and some of the books I think that I remember from 
being very young obviously was the very hungry caterpillar which i think is a classic yes. at this point and yes. you know oh. going on a bear hunt and spot and all of those but there is one picture book and that is called katie meets the impressionists and it's a, a picture book series where there's a young girl called katie and she is in this like this museum this art gallery and she makes her way through all the different art movements so the one that i had was the impressionist and she would essentially climb into the painting and she would <gasps> explore the world in these paintings did you know it? Yes. i can see your face you're like i know that yes. one yes Yes, yeah. I remember this. Mm -hmm. Oh, was, core memory unlocked. I'm wow. telling you, it's one of my core memories, 100%. Wow. And I think I remember it so clearly because of the visuals. They were so striking and they were so bold. And I think when you're young, you kind of remember the narrative when you're young, but it's more definite. That's why picture books are like good for kids, right? <laughs> when you get older, there are no pictures. <laughs> yeah. It's quite sad. We should have pictures. Um, that was definitely one of my most memorable books. And, you know, books and stories were always part of my childhood. My parents are big readers, you know, Sunday afternoon, everyone's reading. So I think the love, and I think even more than that, the the appreciation of books and stories, mm -hmm. you know, came into my life quite early on. And I think when you're very young, certainly I didn't stop to think about where the books I love most came from. Because I think when you're five or four, whatever, you don't, you don't think about publishers, you don't think about authors and agents, that doesn't really exist. They just magically appear on your bed, your parents' bedside table. And I think I was about eight years old, which maybe for some is quite late, maybe for others quite early. And my mom was reading to me and I had this moment of realization where I thought, you know what's so incredible? These characters that feel like friends, these characters that I love in this world that feels, so safe and feels like such an escape and a you know a happy place for me all of it comes from one person's imagination and i just remember thinking that must be the closest thing to magic i could ever imagine okay. that one person's mind could create a place where millions of people can go you know and return to all the time and feel safe and they've brought these characters to life and i think i fell in love with that magical ability i still i work with authors and i still think it's a magical ability and i think in that moment i was like you know what i i think i want to try that you know i didn't know if i could write at all i was like i think i just want to try and be part of that magic and when i was 12 i started writing short stories and i say started writing short stories they are no one's ever going to read them they're lost to time i don't know where they are Thank God no one's going to read them. They were like incomplete. They made no sense. But I don't think that mattered. I don't think, it, you know, that that really doesn't matter. It's it's the act of writing and, you know, trying to tell a story. And I think, I think in a previous episode, you guys were saying that, you know, if you're a creative person, your voice will always find a way yeah. to come out. And I think that's really mm -hmm. true for me. And so I started with short stories. And then it was a natural progression. It went from short stories to a novella, which again, no one's ever going to read. And thank goodness for that. Um, and this was all over like maybe a 10 year span. And it progressed from novellas to full novels, which was, <laughs> it was really fun because I was like, oh, when was this like 2016 17 i was like starting to write full novels and mm -hmm. i was doing my my undergraduate 
degree at the time. So it was like, it was very much just a safe creative space. I don't think I really, even at the time, knew anything about the publishing industry. I didn't really know how authors get published. It was just me, you know, enjoying myself. And we do have a publishing industry here in South Africa, but it's quite small. You know, I think we just have like two of the big five and then a smaller imprint, um, smaller houses. Um, and so there was a moment where I was like, you know what, I think I might want to try and get published. And this was all, you know, the naive days. I had no idea about agents or, <laughs> I get queries sometimes when people say, you know, I'm so sorry, I'm sending this back. I, I realized I can't just send a casual query letter. There's a whole like formality. And I thought, you know, once I write this book, it gets published. And I'm like, yeah, I, I went through that. So I, I understand perfectly. And so once I started exploring the idea of potentially, you know, being published, I had coffee with a, a local author. And I, I really believe that one sort of gesture of kindness from one person to another can really change the course of someone else's life. And that was the case for me. Absolutely. Her name is Jo Jarl. She's a local author. And she was telling me that Pam Macmillan, um, have an annual open submission period and i was like oh that sounds fantastic i'll you know i'll, <laughs> I'll submit my manuscript and i remember working so hard on edits for my manuscript and making sure there were no typos only to realize they wanted the first three chapters <laughs> i was like okay well there's weeks of work <laughs> um which is fine you know in the long run it's okay right um and so i said there's a there's a point it's a very long story i promise I submitted my manuscript in the open submission period. I remember thinking, who is reading this manuscript? You know, what what background do they have? What, um, you know, sort of authority do they have to judge this manuscript? What are they judging? What are they looking for? And so I kind of had this moment where I was like, well, you know, I do want to be a published author, but maybe it's harder than I think it is. And I think if I love books so much and I love stories, maybe I should consider working in publishing. And so, you know, that was quite a big spark for me because I had done my undergraduate at the University of Cape Town and that was in film and media. And I worked in the film industry for a little while and very quickly realized it was not the right industry for me. Um, I fully understand why a lot of women say that, you know, it's not always very safe. It's it's true, you know. And so I left the film industry and I spoke to a family friend who was the director of Macmillan at the time. And I said, you know, I, I think I want to pursue publishing. What is the correct course for me? And she said, well, the best option is to try and get a degree in publishing. And so there are only two universities that offer that publishing degree here. And I was accepted into the University of Pretoria, their honors publishing degree. And like I said earlier, my undergraduate degree was in film and media. It was not in publishing. Mm. So while I was thrilled that I got into my honors course, um, every assignment that I had, I had to go back and learn three years of coursework. Yeah. And I had to learn the dynamics with the professors. And I was so lucky to have an amazing head of department who was just so supportive and so encouraging. And it was such a challenging year because first of all it was a two-year degree and I did it in one year it was long distance and in Pretoria which is like a two-hour flight from here I did it from Cape Town so there were like a lot of obstacles in the mm -hmm. way but it was really interesting because I think those moments where you're being challenged I think if you push through them it just cements 
the idea that you're meant to do this, that you're fighting for it. You know, you're not just like, okay, I'll go through this. Yeah, I really want this. Now, you know, I'll fight for it. I remember, (laughs) I remember my last assignment of my whole degree. Uh, It was a business oral presentation that I had to give. And I had a cold and it was a 300 mark assignment, like written assignment, and then a 300 mark like oral presentation. And I was still working on that assignment because I was doing my thesis at the same time while I was on the airplane, like flying there. And I like printed it at like eight o'clock at night, sprinted across this campus that I did not know. I was not familiar with it. I arrive at the like the venue and they have like all these really impressive like executives of publishing houses there, like listening in the audience. And I'm like, oh my God. And I hadn't, um, and I hadn't had the opportunity to do my PowerPoint presentation because it had been so chaotic. And I get there and I'm like, it's okay. There's one girl that has to go before me. That's like 15 minutes of time that I have. So I go into the lecture, the lecture hall and my lecturer comes out and she's like, okay, Nina, you're on in five minutes. And I was like, what are you talking about? I have 15 minutes. And she's like, no, no. Um, we'll call her Sarah. Um, Sarah had a panic attack and she vomited. So she's not going to go on. Oh no. It's oh, like, no. oh, Sarah. Yeah. It was like, I'm sorry for Sarah's sake. That's miserable. Right. But now I have to go on in five minutes and I have no PowerPoint presentation. And I was so grateful there was this lovely girl. She was like the last standing survivor. Everyone else had like dropped <laughs> out and she was like the only one who was still there. She's like, no, no, we have five minutes. Just insist that you get an extra five. And I was like, yeah, no, I want my extra five minutes. And we just like threw together the most chaotic, nonsensical PowerPoint presentation where like, I remember I gave the presentation and it went really well. And at the end, the like finance teacher was like, so where are your, like, your number section? I was like, there is no number section. <laughs> I didn't have the time. It's not going to be on there. I'm sorry. I'm just going to be honest with you. She threw up. I was, <laughs> my slot got shifted. She I vomited. Like, I was like, she threw up. I was like, you know, I wasn't meant to go on this early. Um, but yeah, I got through that degree. <laughs> we say I survived that degree. And then it was really interesting because COVID hit the next year. So this was 2019. Oh. And then COVID hit 2020. Thank God I'd already done my degree. And so it was sort of full speed ahead you know, and then suddenly you hit into a wall. You're like, well, this is, you know, everything slowed down. Yeah. And I started emailing uh, one of the incredible editors at Macmillan, South Africa. And I was like, hey, please, can I read for you? Like, please, can I assess manuscripts? If for the open submission period that I had been, you know, involved in the previous year, and she was very sweet and I adore, she's a lovely person. She was like, we don't need anyone right now. I'm so sorry. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Okay, two weeks later, hey, do you need someone right now? No, we don't need anyone. Okay, cool. Two weeks later, please, can I read for you? And eventually she was like, okay, you can read for us. And I was like, cool, because I wasn't going to stop. And so I read for Pan Macmillan, which is the craziest thing. It was this complete full circle moment for me. You know, suddenly I was the one assessing the manuscripts and I was so proud of that. And I think, you know, just coming out of my degree and working for Macmillan, even if it was just freelance, was just the best feeling because, you know, I was just climbing the ladder. And after I finished with Macmillan, I was so fortunate to land an internship at the Irene Goodman agency with Whitney Ross as my mentor. She agents a lot of successful books. I'm sure you've heard of them. All of us villains, one dark window. She was, I fully believe, the perfect person to have started my 
career, my publishing journey with. You know, she taught me so much. She has so much grace with how she conducts herself as an agent. And it was such a, a thrilling experience for me because I had just started climbing the ladder, you know. And keep in mind, I had only been within the South African publishing space. And now so early on in my career, I was like, hey, top New York agency, like agents talking about books that I have next to my bed. I was like, that's insane. Like, that's absolutely crazy. And it was just exciting yeah. at every moment. And at this stage, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be an editor or an agent, but very quickly I was like, yeah, I think everything about being an agent really suits my personality. I think it plays to my strengths. And I think in a way it, it really challenges my weaknesses, yeah. you know, which I think is great. You want to always grow and learn. And so I was like, yeah, I definitely want to do this. And after my internship, I moved to my current agency and I get to work with agents who have been doing this for years and they're fantastic. And I was made a junior agent quite quickly, which, you know, a fast track career has its like ups and downs, but it's been the most rewarding thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And I just adore my clients so much. And I'm just in this constant state of awe and just admiration the fact that i get to work with people who are so and that's my thing i really i think in the age of tiktok where we like glorify the inane i think it's so rewarding to know that you are championing people who are genuinely talented and mm -hmm. have earned the right to be in the public eye as it were and so for me it's just i love every part of it obviously there's like you know I think everyone's least favorite part about publishing is the waiting. Like, it's not unique to like querying <laughs> authors. It's <laughs> agents wait, editors wait. It's like a whole thing. Yeah. Um. But I think thankfully that's like the only negative. But you know, my clients just bring me so much joy. I'm so grateful for them. I love that you were low key fangirling about like working with these agents who have like <gasps> represented these successful oh books. Because you know, I I was querying and Alexis is querying and as querying writers. Mm. I don't know about you, Alexis, but when I read the acknowledgement section of a book and I see an agent's name, I'm like, this agent also represents them, them. And I like, mm -hmm. like myself, like when I was querying to these agents, I was fangirling like they represent Stephanie Meyer. Oh, yeah. She wrote Twilight. Isn't that so cool? Now she's reading my query letter. <laughs> I just, it's so interesting. I remember being on those calls, I probably shouldn't say this, but it's fine, in the early days of the IGLA meetings. I remember being on those meetings, just like texting my friend, like, oh my God, you won't believe who this agent represents. And I was like, it was the most exciting thing in the world. And I just have so much respect for them. And just, it's it's really fun to just see them, you know, in like, not, I don't say playful, but like at IGLA, the meetings were always obviously very professional, but there's mm -hmm. so much like mutual respect for one another and they get along so well. So it was like, it did have this element of like playfulness. And I was like, oh my God, this like serious agent, but here they are cracking jokes. I was like, this is the best <laughs> thing ever. I was like, I have the book next to my bed. It was never not exciting. Okay, I have a very interesting question mm. and this might be out of left field, but did the books that you read as a kid and teenager influence the books that you are drawn to as an agent. Absolutely. It would be impossible for me to talk about my journey to, of becoming an agent without talking about Harry Potter. It was such a pillar of my childhood. And, you know, mm -hmm. that was the book that my mom was reading to me when I had that moment of realization. And so I think I've always loved fantasy. I've always loved magic. And I grew up with those books and they're very special to me. But I think those were my, my childhood books. And then when I became a teenager, I think 
being a teenager is really hard. Like you feel so misunderstood. Mm. You feel like, I don't know if it was the same for you guys, but like you feel like your hormones are driving the car and you're like locked in the trunk. You're like, I don't think I'm in charge of this like situation right now. Uh And I think just having books to turn to where you just have like a moment of quiet and you get to, you know, go on a journey with the character and enjoy this world that the author's created. It was such a safe haven for me and it was such a moment of calm and you have these friends, maybe like when you're a teenager, everything's dramatic. So you like argue with your friends a little bit. You're like, these book characters aren't gonna argue with you. Like they don't mind that you like the same guy they like, it's not like an issue. So I remember my teenage years, I read Twilight a lot. Yeah, you did. I love Twilight. I love shouting about how much I love Twilight. Same. It is, you know, the thing is, I think even if, because I know there's like, you know, very solid line and one person on that side, the other person on that side. I think that even if you don't like Twilight, which a lot of people don't, and I understand that not every book is for everyone. It's the same with every book ever. It's not unique to Twilight, but not everyone loves it. I think for me, you know, coming at it from a professional standpoint, Stephanie Meyer is a phenomenal storyteller. You know, she is such a strong storyteller. I think she has such well-rounded, interesting, dynamic characters that she's written. Her pacing is like second to none. The way she paces their love story and kind of learning more about each other and the way like the vampire narrative is explained over the course of that first book. 10 out of 10. Absolutely. They could have like gone into that story of like, hey, he's really pale. Next chapter, hey, he's a vampire. Hey, I love you. No, this was like caution and like kind of figuring things out. And Mm -hmm. I think that was so gripping as a reader. You just want like next page, next page. I just want to find out what happens. And I I think that she has, yeah, I think that she established that, you know, that romance and that love so beautifully in the first book that it really carried throughout the next few books, you know? Because they went through a lot of challenges and you were like, cool, I'm rooting for this couple because I know their backstory. I know how deep their love is. Also, I don't know about you guys, but New Moon, I think, has left like a permanent scar on my soul. Yes. Yes. I'm going to assume you are Team Edward. You're Team Edward, aren't you? Mm-hmm. I knew it. Yes. I knew it. <laughs> Absolutely you are. Well, Nina, you're great. Perfect. <laughs> Lovely. If you're not Team Edward, I'm sorry, but you know I have beef with you. <laughs> the only logical choice. It's the only logical choice. Oh my god. That's yeah, I am Team Ed. I will say Taylor Lautner as a human being seems lovely. I've been listening to his podcast Absolutely. with his wife, The right. Squeeze. Mm. Fantastic human being. I just <sighs> I think that I definitely have beef with Edward. Same. Yeah, I see that's the thing. I think you can appreciate a story and just be like, hey, these are the problematic situations yes, in yes. the story. Do you guys want to hear my hot take on Edward? I want to hear it. I need to I hear, want it. To hear it. So yeah. I think also I don't know if you read Midnight Sun. The dude thinks too much. Absolutely. He needs to calm down. Like it's it's a lot of internal monologuing going on. <laughs> yes. Like just take up yoga. You know what I mean? <laughs> take a chill. It's fine. Um, um I think my hot take with Edward is that, first of all, I, I love like the smooth, debonair, mysterious, you know, that kind of character. That's my speed. I yes. I think in real life, Jacob would be a good friend because I like cheerful, happy people, but like not in the book boyfriend sense. Right. 
So I think my hot take with Edward is that I know he leaves in New Moon because he truly thinks it's in Bella's best interest to leave because he's like, hey, I know you love me. I know I love you. But every time you're with me, I put you in danger. You know, I mean, it was Jasper, you know, anyway. Super Jasper. (laughs) Um, And so the thing is, and this is also, I think, a hot take on Bella, to be honest, because Edward leaves, right? And at that point in the story, Bella isn't very close with Jacob. He's just like a side character. And then she's left absolutely distraught, sitting by the window with that possibility song playing. And it's like the camera's rotating. She's having a a really hard time, right? Like that's some serious like winter depression she went through. And (laughs) and she's like, okay, yeah, I'm still feeling shit. I think I'm going to fill this void in my soul by going to Jacob. So she goes to Jacob and Jacob, I think is the real sunshine at peace with himself that she's never in danger when she's with him. So he's perfect for what she's going through in her life at that time. So I think just from like an editorial perspective that makes perfect sense to have him as that character. And then (laughs) Jacob starts to fall in love with her and she's aware of it. I'm sorry, you can play coy. She knows that he loves her like there's it's obvious, right? There's like puppy dog stuff going on there. And so absolutely, she is leading him on and using him to fill the void in her heart, knowing that he feels really strongly for her. And then Edward comes back and she's like, oh, yay, my love is back. Peace out, Jacob. I don't need you anymore. And it's like, that is so horrible to do that to someone. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then Edward comes back and he's like, oh, I don't really want you to see Jacob. It's not safe. It's like, screw you, dude. You left. She was miserable. This guy looked after her while you were gone. She's very safe with him. I don't think you have a right to come back and tell her you can't see him or that he can't see her. <laughs> it was like the consequences. You have consequences to your actions. You can't just up and leave and then be like, well, you know, things are going to go back to the way I want them. No, you know. I get a little bit heated about this. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I was like, no, I think that Edward should have, my editorial take, Edward should have come back and then kind of had to face the fact that his choices have consequences. And now Jacob is involved and he was really good for Bella, you know? And I know that in the story, he does take the opportunity to go, maybe she would be better with Jacob. Maybe it is safer for him. But I just think that narrative of him trying to block Jacob It's kind of a douchey move. I don't think he has the right to do that. I think in a way, he might be like 110 million years old, but I think he still has that naive young boy thing about him where he's like, oh, I don't Mm -hmm. know that I know what to do in this situation. And so I think in a way, Bella really comes into her own as a character because I think up until the last book, she doesn't have a lot of agency. And she is yep. she is a problematic problematic character in a lot of ways and i say that because i don't mind saying that because sometimes it's okay that's who she is as a character you know she's not like the poster mm-hmm. child for feminism and like female empowerment and that's okay that's what the story is it's about this young naive girl who yeah. is quite easily led but i think she knows her mind throughout the story even if she does maybe lack a bit of agency and I think she really comes into her own in the last book she's like cool this is my child I love you but I'm gonna make this decision if it's for me if it's for both of us fantastic and I love that transformation you know she's really not who she was at the beginning of the story which is it's what you want from a story yeah I love that Mm -hmm. that was one of my favorite things about it too just seeing her 
take control, take agency Mm -hmm. and recognize, you know what, I'm going to put my foot down and I can put my foot down and I'm going to get people on my side. I love the partnership she did with Rosalie. I thought that was so, it was so satisfying to read that after the the girls butting head for so long Mm -hmm. and then finally seeing eye to eye. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a really special moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can really see that you have that editorial agent eye just by the way you're dissecting this. It's beautiful. I love hearing your vision for even things that we didn't necessarily see on the Mm -hmm. page. I can see why this is the career for you. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, it's about understanding stories and understanding people and I, I can't switch it off. I wish that I could. I, what I do find is that if a if a manuscript or a book is really strong, I can switch it off and I just enjoy it. But like if a manuscript or a book is not as strong as it can be, I'm like, oh, I don't know that that would have happened. You know what I mean? But I think Twilight is obviously yeah. perfect as it is. So it's more of like a just understanding the story. I wouldn't change anything about mm-hmm. it, except maybe Edward's being like a little bit of a douche when he comes back. <laughs> um, but I guess that's also part of him as a character, having that immaturity side to him, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think being an agent suits me quite well. <laughs> yeah, I can also definitely tell you're you're very editorial mm-hmm. in your approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, Beautiful. I love the editorial process. I think, I think it's a real bonding opportunity with you and your clients. Um, and I think it's also... I find my clients take a deep breath when we start editorial because I think, and I understand perfectly that, you know, any writer, because I have that writing background, I understand, you put your heart and your soul into your manuscript. It's such a part of you. It's such a vulnerable thing to have created. And I think there always is this fear, even if you gel with an agent on that author call, I think there always is this fear of, if I give this manuscript to this person as like a salad, that's always the joke, are they going to give me a steak back? You know, and I think once my clients and I have this conversation, they start to realize that that's exactly what it is. It's a conversation and it's me wanting them to be able to tell the best story that they can tell. And I think the best editorial MO is to, first of all, understand the story. Because if you don't understand the story, you're not going to find a good editorial channel to follow. But if you understand it, you're like, cool, I know what needs to happen. These are the steps we need to take to get there. And so when I have an author call with someone, I always say, what is your attitude towards editorial? And I think ultimately, if I had a call with someone, even if I loved their manuscript and they were like, I'm really not willing to make any changes. Like, this is the manuscript, take it or leave it. I don't like the editorial process. I, I don't think I could work with that person. You know, it's it's meant to be, please God, like a career-long relationship. And it also, it would also be tricky because there would be a lot of fear on my side. I always get nervous sending editorial letters, just they, they get nervous receiving them. But I think if you're working with an author who isn't open to editorial feedback, you're going to get so nervous every time you send them feedback. You know, be yeah. like, walking on eggshells like hey look I know it's you know you weren't really expecting but can we maybe change that character's reaction in that moment it doesn't quite feel authentic mm-hmm. how is that going to be taken you know you don't want to live in fear the whole time yeah. so yeah I do love editorial and I love the collaboration of it and I love when authors are really open mm-hmm. to the process and I think just understanding the purpose of editorial that's the, the goal really yeah. hearing that you as an agent like you get a little 
nervous, anxious, what have you, before sending an editorial letter is just fascinating to me. I, I just signed with an agent um, about a month ago. Congratulations, that's amazing. I know, I was very excited. We actually, I got the email when me and Alexis were recording a podcast, so we got oh, wow. it on film and everything, so it was really cool. <laughs> yeah. But I had been sitting for a month, not a month, we mm-hmm. signed and then she read and all the things, but like as an uh, as an author waiting to get my editorial letter was like, I wanted to vomit because mm-hmm. I had this thought, she's going to read it a second time. She thinks it's garbage. Yeah. She's going to fire me. She's going to drop me like that. I mean, I, I find it interesting that both parties seemingly mm-hmm. can have those bits of anxiety. And Megan's like, she's very like, when we create together, we create better, you know? Yeah. So she's very yeah. editorial as well. Yeah. I just, I think that's interesting to hear from an agent that, hey, we get nervous too. Mm-hmm. It's okay, mm-hmm. you know? 100%. And it's funny because I think once you get to know your clients, you kind of figure out the level of care that they need. Like I have some clients who mm-hmm. I will message them if I'm taking a little bit longer to respond like a new draft and just be like, hey, look, things have been a bit busy. I just haven't had the chance to read this yet. Don't think that I think it's awful, you know? And I'm like... <laughs> That's like the thing, because I know they're sitting there and they're like sweating, like a full body sweat, like, oh my gosh, what if she hates it? And it's like, A, you know, if it's not where it needs to be, we'll work on it. B, I signed you because I believe in you and I know what your potential is. So even if this isn't it, it's okay, we'll just move on to something else. But I do, yeah, I do understand that they're sitting there like really stressed out. And often when I send, also it's, it's more in the beginning, I've just signed someone and I send them the editorial letter and at the end, I always say, you know, this could have been 15 pages long. It's only like four pages. Everyone's manuscript's different. And then they see that it's mostly a positive letter, which I always do keep a positive. And they're like, oh, that's such a relief. I really thought you were going to hate it. It was going to be like a 20 page edit letter. And I was like, no, you know, it's, it's, it's just little changes that you have to make. There's no reason to be nervous. So I do actively take the time to just reassure authors that it's a-okay to be nervous, but also like, don't be nervous you know I signed you for a reason so it's fine I admire the respect you have for your authors how you want to strengthen the story and you also are there to encourage them but also provide that feedback because holding that back would be a disservice to them as an Mm -hmm. author it'd be a disservice to the story and I think it's also important to know for any potential aspiring writers listening everyone gets an edit letter yeah Mm-hmm. Every story could use improvements. And 100%. even how we're, here, we're sitting here talking about Twilight and how we could potentially mm-hmm. improve improve it just a little <laughs> bit more. And we're huge fans of Twilight. We have that so authority. Think, <laughs> yes, and <laughs> we totally do. But I think that editing and revising can be scary, but it's so rewarding mm-hmm. because that is mm-hmm. what helps us get these books that we fall in love with because they were not like that Mm -hmm. when they were their original Mm -hmm. first draft, second draft, third draft. So yeah, I just wanted to put that out there for anyone who's listening, who's like, who's afraid of the edit letter. It's it's a, it's a rite of passage. (laughs) Yeah. hundred percent. I think Mm -hmm. I totally, I know it's scary, but I really think it's something to be grateful for and to embrace. Here is a professional who loves your writing and has this vision for your manuscript and wants to work with you to improve it. They're not there to criticize or to judge. It's such a positive experience if you let it be a positive experience. The moment you're like, oh God, this person hates my work. They're just tearing it apart. No, they just understand your story. They understand your voice and they want you to be able to tell that story to the best of your abilities. And also, (laughs) 
you get a second editorial letter from your editor when you sign a book deal. So it comes again. So try not to have a meltdown over the first one because there's going to be a second one. And it's just, it's just, it, no. it, no, it's fantastic. It makes sense because I have a fresh pair of eyes on your manuscript and then your editor has a fresh pair of eyes on your manuscript. So you can go like assembly line of like 20 people and you're going to have 20 editorial letters because it doesn't end until you're like blue in the face. You have to draw the line somewhere, obviously. But it's just part of the process yeah. and it's a really helpful part of the process. Um, you know, from your agent's perspective, it helps you get a book deal. From the editor's perspective, it helps readers connect with a stronger story. So there's always, yeah, it's it's a mechanism and there's a purpose to it, you know? So I know it's scary, but like try and see it as a positive thing because at the end of the day, yeah. it really is. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wonder too if for, you know, when we're querying, mm. um, you know, we've written our book, Alexis, you probably have 20 million drafts of the book you're querying. I had 20 million drafts of the book I was querying. So I wonder if the edit letter, the first one was just a little, not overwhelming, but a little scary because in my mind, I have revised and revised this book mm -hmm. at least seven times because before I started querying, I wanted it so, so polished as, you know, as anybody querying who what should aspire to do, you know, you want to present your best work. So in my mind, when I submitted this, um, I was like, it's great. It's good. I actually, internally, I thought it was garbage. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I feel like we all struggle with that, creatives. But I think we've revised it so much at that point. It's like, oh, okay, more revisions. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Because I actually really do. I love the revisions part. I think it's great. But I wonder if that has anything to do with it. The fact that we have written the book initially, and then we rewrote it at least five more times before we're querying. I wonder there's there's some signs there there's there's signs to that yeah. yeah I I think it's kind of about perspective I think that when you're the author you are so in it it's just like tunnel vision it's all you can see you have read that manuscript a thousand yes. times you have thought through every mm -hmm. editorial possibility you can think of and you're like cool i've checked all the boxes yep. there is nothing else i can do therefore there is nothing else anyone else can do therefore it's perfect right but again it's it's about having the fresh pair of eyes i don't even know if that's an expression it sounds a bit weird yeah. it sounds like you've just washed your eyeballs yeah. <laughs> um but it's about someone who isn't in that tunnel vision situation with you, who just sees it from a new perspective. And it also varies. I have manuscripts that I've worked on that needed to be rewritten completely. I'm not going to say whose manuscript that is. She knows who she is. Um, but in that situation, and this is, I'm sure she won't mind me saying, but in that situation, she had been querying for like four years and it was like pass after pass after pass and then it got to a point so where she she kind of thought okay maybe i need to write for agents maybe i need to like tailor my manuscript stylize it in a way that i think would appeal to agents and so when she sent me um the manuscript it was chalk and cheese to where it is now right but there was there was a moment in the first chapter I've completely forgotten how I got to this point, but we're going to go with it. Um, there was a moment in the first chapter where I was like, holy crap, this is perfection. The way she's written the scene is flawless. And I think that I would spend my whole career wanting a client like this. And I was like, okay, I know 
that this is not the best work that she has right now. I think that's how we got here. Um, and I had it in my gut that she probably didn't feel this was her best work, but there was this moment, this like golden light, I always call it that, where I was like, I think it's worth the risk, right? And so I signed her and we had this conversation. I was like, look, you know, I feel like there's something going on here. Like what kind of creative block are you going through? And basically she said, and she was very honest about it and I appreciated that. She said, you know, it really was the trauma of querying that it knocked her confidence so much that she yeah. just stopped trusting her own voice as an author. She stopped wanting to use her own voice. And so I was like, okay, I understand that that's a real trauma. I've signed you because I realize your potential as a writer, you know, and everything yeah. we go through, they say like memory is the scribe of the soul. It's so true. It's things that you go through in print and you see that with what you create, you know, and that was very evident in her writing. And I was like, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I love your writing. I see your potential. Are you willing to rewrite this manuscript or do you want to work on something else? And she was like, nope, I'm going to rewrite this manuscript. And I was like, are you sure? Because like, I know I'm asking a lot right now and I don't normally sign people asking them. Like it could have been an R&R, &R, right? But I was like, no, no, I just, I have this feeling about this writer. And- um, That's beautiful. Yeah, and she rewrote it and she absolutely killed it. It's like, it's yes. like the best thing ever. Oh, um, you'll be able to read it next August. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she absolutely killed it. And I was like, that's what it is. You know, sometimes, you think that your manuscript is perfect or sometimes you're like this is the best that i can do with the emotional capacity that i have right now and i, right. mm -hmm. I think that when you find the right agent they either are able to take your manuscript further or they can transform it it's always about understanding your client and i have lost my train of thought <laughs> <laughs> no you're good that's <laughs> that's incredible insight Nina, you would be a joy to work with. So people, if you are listening and you're querying, Aww. when she opens up to queries, query her. Because <laughs> seriously, just sitting, talking to you, you would be an absolute joy to work That's with. That's so yeah. nice. Seriously. Thank you for saying that. That's so sweet. Hearing how you champion your clients. I adore them. They're so deserving of it. Um, and I think it also... I'm a reader, I love books, and it's quite self-indulgent when you sign clients, you're like, this is the book that I wanna read, so I'm gonna read it. Um, yep. But yeah, I just, it's such a privilege to work with them. They're, they're just fantastic, I really love them. I love hearing your perspective on the edit process. Mm. I really wanna hear about what that feeling is like when you've gone through the edits, you've gone through getting it as ready as it is for as ready as it can be for sub what is that moment like when your client gets the book deal and have you had that moment recently i want to hear about it oh my gosh um yes so my client jennifer delaney uh, signed a three book deal with glance which is <laughs> good yeah. applause to you both yes. oh my <laughs> hearing you talk about like you know you're so proud. It's so clear in your voice. I'm proud of you. I just met you today and I'm so freaking proud <laughs> Thank of you. you. You did it. Thank you, you did it. And Jennifer did it. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of both of you. But like hearing you with all this pride and like, I mean, how, what do you think younger Nina would say to Nina now? I think she would be incredibly happy that, that I'm in a career that 
is so fulfilling and so rewarding and really plays to my strengths. It's, I think so many people are in a position with their career where they're like, yep, it's just a job and you know, I'll do it and whatever it is. But for me, I, I love what I do so much. I'm so passionate about it. And that is such a blessing. And it's not something that I, I take for granted. So I think little like creative, loving her books, Nina would be like, hey, more books. How fun is that? <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, little Nina's still me and I'm very happy about it. So I, I think that's, it's, it's a good thing. I'm really grateful for it. I wish I could just ask you at least 10 to 20 more questions but out of respect for your time we will we're gonna we're gonna have to cut it we're gonna have to cut it to this last one you've talked about this journey from childhood into today so if you could choose a title for the book of your life the book of this journey what would that title be I'm gonna take it a little bit dark and say I think that if I were to write a book about my life, I would want to write it in the latter half of my life, like quite old, in my 80s, please God, I live quite long. I think, because I think there's so much more journey to be had, right? Like, yeah, I could write an autobiography about, you know, what we've been chatting about, but this, please God, more to have. I think I would call it The Last Letters because I think it's you writing down your experiences, your life. But I think an autobiography always feels like someone's writing to you personally. And I think that's kind of what a letter is. So I think if you sit down, write a handwritten letter, there's something really personal about that. And I think that autobiographies in general are really personal. So that would be my dramatic in my late eighties by the sea at a little desk by the window, writing my memoirs. Oh, I can visualize that so tangibly. (laughs) That's such a beautiful scene in my head. I love everything about it. (laughs) I would read those letters. I would read anything that you wrote, really. And I'm excited to read the book that's publishing in August 2024 from your client, Jennifer Delaney. I'm so excited. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for her. And I'm excited for me that I just got to meet you today. You guys are the best. Thank you so much for having me on. Like, what a great first podcast interview. Like, you've set oh. the bar. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to come back. Seriously. I would love that. Yeah, it's with great hesitation that we have to end the call <laughs> because, like, you're just, you're so easy to talk to. Thank you. It's been so lovely. Thank you again for having me. It's been such a delight and so much fun. Okay, Alexis. Yes. Nina is not from Georgia, but let me tell you, she's a peach. A true peach. The ripest of peaches. The ripe Nina, you are a ripe peach and we love you. Seriously, it was so hard to get off the call with her because I, I mean, I literally could sit and talk to her for hours. Yes. Just hearing her heart for her clients and how I don't, you get the sense that she absolutely loves being an agent. And I love, love hearing that from someone in the publishing community because the publishing world, it's hard and it's scary and it's exhausting and it is lonely. So hearing from someone who is actively in that world have so much joy about it. I mean, as a, as a writer who queried and like is actively still in this publishing world, you too, Alexis, it's just really good to hear someone with that joy in this space. Yes, absolutely. It's encouraging for me and I hope it's encouraging to our listeners too because I think sometimes we can 
get bogged down and just to know that there are people still in this industry who are in it for the love of story, who are in it for the magic of fiction and escapism. It is everything that we want to hear because at the root of Mm -hmm. it, we got into this because we're all dreamers and it's, it was just everything to listen to her and to hear her heart behind everything. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Before the Prologue. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a review. It really helps. And if you want some more behind the scenes content, follow us on Instagram at Before the Prologue Podcast. See you next time.